I'm Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, world. You're listening to another episode of Making a Difference. I am your host, Ken Macon. So appreciative to the online movement and to everyone who's involved. Before we jump into this very important podcast, I want to thank our sponsors. First of all, Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. If you're looking for affordable health care and a pharmacy that you can trust, look no further than Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355, also TaxWise Financial. At 2664 Tobacco Road in Hepzibah, professional and affordable representation, the wise choice for all your tax needs. That's TaxWise Financial, 706-305-1412, 706-305-1412. And my dear friends at Urban Pro Weekly, it's a free weekly newspaper in the CSRA covering issues related to the local community. You can look up Urban Pro Weekly, U-R-B-A-N-P-R-O Weekly on Facebook. So do that and Making a Difference also does a weekly podcast for Urban Pro Weekly. So we want you guys to look at that as well. Man, this is such an important podcast. I had a had an opportunity last weekend to listen to a Democratic uh, candidate for the uh, presidency of these United States, none other than Bernie Sanders. The There were two, I think, just two very profound things about uh, Mr. Uh, Senator Sanders. The first thing is the fact that he would come to Uh, Aiken, South Carolina, and come to Aiken, South Carolina after a very important uh, Democratic debate that took place uh, in Rock Hill, uh, South Carolina at Winthrop University. The fact that he would make the trip down, you know, after that debate Friday, um, that uh, Friday, which was covered by uh, Rachel Maddow, and I believe that's uh, MSNBC, if I'm not mistaken. But to go from that, to come down to a traditional, uh, traditionally Republican stronghold, uh, to come into the heart of Aiken and really about various issues that are affecting this country. I mean, just it was a, a very important commentary and a very insightful commentary. I we, When we speak about President Obama, and of course, we all remember the uh, now iconic book that he wrote called The Audacity of Hope. And not to say that President Obama isn't a, uh, a, a genuine and authentic individual, but where we have the audi- um, audacity of hope. Uh, with President Barack Obama, I believe we have the audacity of honesty uh, with uh, Senator, and it's my hope, and I tell you, he's, he's got my vote in terms of being president. I hope that he he would be our next president, um, Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, what I'll do is this, because I, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to jump into this uh, speech and this uh, commentary. It's about, uh, we're going to split it up here a little bit. Uh, ultimately, it's about an hour long. It's an excerpted um, speech. Um, at, at this rally that took place at the USC Aiken Convocation Center. We're going to jump into it when we come back. I just want to give you some some specifics and just some of my personal thoughts on why I believe uh, Bernie Sanders is the right choice for president. But without further ado, the next voice you will hear is that of Senator Bernie Sanders here on Making a Difference. Today in the United States, we have more income and wealth inequality than any other major country on earth, and it is worse in our country than at any time since 1928. Now, in my view, there is something profoundly wrong, and I want you to hear this, when the top one-tenth of one percent, not one percent, one-tenth of one percent, owns almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. There is something profoundly wrong when in America our people are working the longest hours of any people in an industrialized country. Japanese work very hard. We work longer hours than the Japanese. And yet 58% of all new income created is going to the top 1%. There is something profoundly wrong. When one family, the Walton family of Walmart, owns more wealth than the bottom 40% of the American people. One family. In the last two years, 
The 14 wealthiest people in this country have seen their wealth increase by $150 billion. Increase in two years alone. That's more wealth than is owned by 130 million Americans. Bottom line is, together, we are going to create an economy that works for working families and the middle class, not just the billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, this month we created, the economy created about 270,000 jobs. I would like to see more, but I'll tell you this, what the Republicans seem to forget is that when Bush left office, we were losing 800,000 jobs a month. You don't think 270,000 jobs is enough? Fine. It's a hell of a lot better than losing 800,000 jobs. My Republican friends are getting suffering from this very serious illness. I'm not going to make fun of it. Amnesia is a serious problem. We're working on a treatment for it. They seem to forget they're very worried about the deficit. You know, they stay up nights worrying about the deficit. Yet when Bush left office, the deficit was a record-breaking $1.4 trillion, and we've cut that by two-thirds. They seem to have forgotten that. When Bush left office, maybe most importantly, 2008, the world's financial system was on the verge of collapse, and there were economists who were worried that you're going to put your credit card into an ATM machine and nothing was going to come out. That we really were on the verge of an international financial crisis. Well, that is not the case today. But having said that, recognizing that we are in much better shape than we were seven years ago when Bush left office, there is another reality that we have to discuss as well. And that is that for the last 40 years, four zero years, under Republican and Democratic administrations, the great middle class of this country has been disappearing. And the issues that we have got to ask ourselves is how does it happen that workers in America who are using new and exploding technology who are much more productive than workers 20 or 30 years ago, why are they working longer hours for lower wages? Why is it possible, if we do not change it, that the young people in this room may well have a standard of living lower than their parents despite the increase in technology and productivity? Why is it that median family income today is $4,000 less than it was in 1999? So our job is to appreciate that we have made progress in the last seven years, but to understand that we have a long way to go. We need to create millions of decent paying jobs. We should not be firing teachers, we should be hiring teachers. And I just met with a gentleman who is a teacher. And our teachers in this country do an extraordinary job, and we should all be very grateful for what they do. young people to look at education to understand that being a great teacher, that helping struggling kids get their feet on the ground and go out and be productive citizens, that there is nothing more important than that. the football players, but love the teachers as well. And when we have an infrastructure of roads and bridges and a rail system and water systems and wastewater plants and levees and dams that are in disrepair, I want to see this great nation rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, and when we do that, we create 13 million jobs. And I want to, 
one of the themes of our campaign, it's not just creating the political revolution and getting you all involved, is urging you to think big, not small. Big, not small. There was once a time in American history, not so many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, we led the world in terms of infrastructure. We were cutting edge. That's not the case anymore. I want you to envision an infrastructure which we have the best roads, the best bridges, the best rail system in the world, and you're going to help us build that system. Unemployment. I want everybody to appreciate that official unemployment is 5%, much lower than it used to be. Real unemployment is not official unemployment. Real unemployment includes those who have given up looking for work and those many millions who are working part-time when they want to work full-time. Add all that together, real unemployment is about 10%. But I want to now mention something to you that gets virtually no discussion at all. And that is youth unemployment in this country. It's a not discussed issue. And some of you are aware of it and what it means. A couple of months ago, I asked some economists to do a study for me. And I said, tell me what real unemployment is for high school graduates between the ages of 17 and 20, okay? Young people graduated high school, not dropouts, graduated high school 17 to 20. This is what they reported back. For white kids, real unemployment and underemployment, 33%. For Latino kids, 36%. For African American kids, 51%. That is an enormous national tragedy. And I want you to think about what it means. Kid graduates high school, what do they want? They want to stand on their own two feet, they want to go out, they want to earn some money, they want to become independent, they want to get away from their parents, they want to say, what's on life? And yet, millions of young people cannot find a job. And if anybody here thinks that there is not a direct correlation between high, tragically high youth unemployment and the fact that we have more people in jail than any other country on earth, you would be mistaken. So here is my promise to you. My promise to you is that instead of investing in jails and incarceration, we're going to invest in education and jobs. population on earth. We are spending 80 billion dollars a year, 80 billion dollars a year locking people up. It costs a lot more money to put somebody in jail than to send them to the University of South Carolina. Let's send them to the University. that so many people are working incredibly long hours. You know, you remember reading your history books that a hundred years ago, workers demonstrated. They marched out on the street and had these huge placards. What were they saying? What did they want? They wanted a 40-hour work week a hundred years ago. And today, today, you have millions of people working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And the reason for that is one simple fact. And that is that wages in the United States are just too low. The federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. 
And you can do the arithmetic as well as I can. You multiply seven and a quarter or eight or nine or ten by 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, and what you end up is with a sum of money that people cannot survive on. That's the simple fact. And that is why we have got to raise the minimum wage to a living wage, 15 bucks an hour. radical socialist concept to say that if somebody works 40 hours a week, that person should not be living in poverty. And when we talk about fair wages, I hope every man here tonight will stand with the women and fight for pay equity for women workers. economic reason why women are making 79 cents on the dollar compared to men. It's just old-fashioned sexism, and together we're going to change it. Now, in South Carolina, you see a lot of politicians running throughout your state giving a lot of speeches. And many of my Republican colleagues talk about their views on family values. Have you Republicans talk about family values? They just love families. They stay at nights worrying about families. But you all know, you know what they mean by family values. What they mean is that women should not have the right to control their own bodies, and I disagree. but they think the government has a right to intrude on some of the most difficult and personal decisions human beings have to make. And when Republicans talk about family values, what they are saying is that our gay brothers and sisters should not have the right to marry. I disagree. And my wife Jane, who just met a moment ago, and I have been married for 27 years. We have four beautiful kids and seven extraordinary grandchildren. Want to see pictures tomorrow? <laughs> and we believe very strongly, no one I know believes more strongly in family than my wife does. We believe in family values, but our values are very different than Republican family values. When I talk about family values, I talk about ending the international embarrassment of the United States of America being the only major country on earth that does not guarantee paid family and medical leave. tell many of the mothers here what that's about. Is that right, moms? What it's about is that today in South Carolina, today in Vermont, women are having babies. And as a parent, you know, parents know what an extraordinary day it is, and it's a pretty big day for the baby as well. 
here's the story. If that mom and if that family have sufficient income, mom can stay home for months and months, get the love and know her baby, and provide the kind of attention that a newborn person requires. But if that mother and dad do not have sufficient income, what happens is that a mother is forced to be separated from her newborn baby, maybe a week, maybe two weeks after that baby is born. That is not a family value. That is the opposite of what a family value is. and low-income moms and dads to stay home with their babies because we are going to pass legislation which guarantees working families at least three months of paid family and medical leave. And when we talk about the economy, it is not just the need, as I mentioned a moment ago, to create millions of decent paying jobs. We have got to prevent the loss of decent paying jobs. You are looking at a senator and a former congressman who voted against NAFTA, against CAFTA, against permanent normal trade relations with China, and will lead the effort to defeat the Trans-Pacific Partnership. South Carolina or in my state and then move abroad. If they want us to purchase their products, the time is long overdue for them to start manufacturing those products here in the United States. Now, there are many, many issues that are out there. And people often ask me, they say, oh, Bernie, what is the most important issue? And I can't really say that there is any one, because all of these issues are so important. But there is one issue which impacts every other issue. And that is that five years ago, in a disastrous Supreme Court decision, by a five to four vote in Citizens United, the Supreme Court said to the wealthiest people in this country, they said, hey guys, you already own much of the economy. We are now going to allow you to own the United States government. You can spend as much money as you want in the political process. And what that means is that people like the Koch brothers and their network will spend in this campaign some $900 million. In other words, you have one vote, Koch brothers have one vote, but they got another $900 million to put into the political process. When you have one family spending more money in this campaign than either the Democratic or Republican Party, that's not called democracy, that's called oligarchy, and we have got to end it. is that no nominee of mine to the U.S. Supreme Court will get that nomination unless he or she is crystal clear in telling the country that they will vote to overturn Citizens United. But it's not just overturning Citizens United and getting back to where we work. What we have got to do, and I believe this passionately, I believe in democracy. And I want everyone in this room, people all over the state, people all over America, who feel strongly about 
their views of where America should go. I want them to be able to run for office without having to beg wealthy people for campaign contributions. That's why I believe, why I believe in public funding of elections. about elections, let me say a few words about some of what's going on right now. As a nation, we have one of the lowest voter turnouts of any major country on earth. Canada just had its election a week or two ago. 69% of their people came out. Europe is not uncommon, 70-80%. And we have an election which, for president, maybe 55%, off here, 35% vote. It would seem to me that our job as Americans is to increase voter turnout, not decrease voter turnout. It would seem to me that any governor or member of the legislature who is working to suppress the vote should be ashamed of themselves. And I feel strongly about this because, you know, I run for office. I've run many times in the state of Vermont. Let me tell you, I've lost some elections and I've won elections. But it has never once occurred to me to think about how I could create a situation which prevents people from voting just because they might vote against me. And I believe that any Republican governor, and there are many of them all over this country, are staying up nights figuring out how they could deny the vote to poor people, to elderly people, to people of color, I think that if they are so frightened of people coming out to vote, if they are so unable to defend their ideas in a free and open election, they should get another job. commentary by Bernie Sanders and just think there's so much more to come and we're going to give that to you after these messages you're listening to making a difference. I'm Richmond County Sheriff Richard Roundtree. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Hey you, yeah you, are you looking for affordable health care? Are you looking for a pharmacy that you can trust? Well look no further than Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard here in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. 
this may be a familiar voice to you. Hey, it's none other than Ken Macon from the hit show Making a Difference. And I just want to tell you about the fine folks over at Medical Villa Pharmacy. They're led by pharmacists, Dr. Marshall Curtis and Baron Curtis. And I tell you, they provide great service for many of us here in Augusta, Richmond County. They take Georgia Medicaid, insurance plans, charge cards, WIC vouchers, and they even provide free delivery service. The Medical Villa Pharmacy is conveniently located in the Medical District near the Medical College of Georgia and Payne College. Medical Villa Pharmacy. They are dedicated doctors, medical mavens, and a blessing to the health industry. What more can I say but head to Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. Have you gotten a letter from the IRS about an audit, levy, or tax lien? Worried because you haven't filed taxes in several years? Well, stop worrying and call the tax pros at TaxWise Financial on Tobacco Road. TaxWise Financial is licensed to represent you at all levels of the IRS in any state, from the simple to the complex. Professional and affordable representation by TaxWise Financial will help resolve all of your tax issues. Call them at 706-305-1412. TaxWise Financial, the wise choice for all your tax needs. My name is Lauren Macon and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. You're listening to an excerpted speech from Senator Bernie Sanders uh, that took place in Aiken, South Carolina just last weekend. Bernie Sanders fearlessly uh, coming to a Republican stronghold, uh, you know, South Carolina, specifically Aiken, South Carolina, and really came and just uh, provided a, a, a great and sincere message. Why Bernie Sanders, in my opinion, you know, I, I look at this pool of candidates and, you know, you have some people saying, well, I don't really like any of the candidates. And I I don't think that's the right way to go about it. But what you have to do, and, and to me, you have to do this honestly, is you have to look at the candidates and say, you know, what candidate uh, appeals to my ideals? And, you know, and, and, and obviously discernment is a part of that as well. But just looking at it in terms of saying, OK, do I believe that said candidate will hold uh, hold true to these ideals uh, even after he or she is elected. I feel very firmly just but in terms of what uh, Senator Sanders has talked about, uh, has talked a lot about, um, you know, uh, economic uh, equality, has talked about Black Lives Matter. I mean, those are issues among many others uh, that are in uh, prison reform, obviously. Um, a lot of uh, issues that are, are really just important to this time and to this age. And I, I really think Bernie is the choice. If you've listened to this speech thus far, a lot of the stuff that he says um, is really making a lot of sense. I, I want to address another point too, because you have some people who are saying, "Man, he's too old." You know, Bernie Sanders. He's a he's like he's like a grandfather. You know, and, and different things like that. And I think when people say things like that, they don't really understand. I think the structure of how this country works. And when you look at Congress and and Congress in terms of, I mean, being uh, arguably the premier law uh, making group in this country. Congress is made up of, of of older white gentlemen. I mean, you know, getting up to, you know, 50s, 60s, uh, even 70 years old. So to say that Bernie Sanders, you know, his his age um, is an issue. I'm here to tell you, like the late great Aaliyah, age ain't nothing but a number. And with that, we're going to jump right back into the speech. You're listening to Making a Difference. The Republican idea of democracy is to suppress the vote and have billionaires by election. Our, our idea of democracy is one person, one vote, and make it as easy as possible for people to participate in the political process. And when we talk about American needs, let's all understand that we are living in a highly competitive global economy. And it makes no sense to me that we do not have the best educated workforce in the world. It makes no sense to me that there are hundreds of thousands of young people in South Carolina, in Vermont, all over this country who have the ability who have the qualifications, but are not getting a higher education for one reason and one reason alone, and that is their families lack the funds. And that is why I have introduced legislation and will make happen as president 
a process by which every public college and university in America is tuition free. and sustainable energy. 
And we need, we need you, young people, and not so young people, to help us in that effort. We know what has to be done. It's not rocket science. We know what has to be done. We know that the cost of solar energy has plummeted. We know that states like Iowa are now getting close to 40% of their electricity from wind turbines. We know that in my state, Vermont, we're using geothermal. We know that we can weatherize homes and make them much more efficient. We know that we can create a transportation system far, far more efficient than what we have today. Build the greatest rail system in the world, take trucks off the road. Interestingly enough, the reason we are not moving as aggressively as we should, and by the way, I want to applaud President Obama for making it clear this Keystone Pipeline is not going to work. But we have a very unusual situation. Here's the situation. We have the Republican Party now controlling the House and the Senate. And when they talk about climate change, oh, they're not scientists, they don't know, they're in doubt. You know what's really going on? It's not that they are in doubt. It is that if Republican candidates stand up and say, you know, I talked to scientists, I read the literature, climate change is real, and we have got to be aggressive in transforming our energy system. You know what happens to them the day after they make that statement? Their campaign funding stops from the Koch brothers and ExxonMobil and the big money interests. So my message to the Republican candidates for president and Republican members of Congress, stop worrying about your campaign contributions. Stop worrying about your children and your grandchildren. When we talk about where we 
the nation. We should appreciate and be proud of the fact that we have made real progress in the last several decades in making America a less discriminatory society. If we were here 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and somebody said, you know, I think some black guy is going to be elected president of the United States. The United States will overcome its, you know, hundreds of years of racism, elect somebody based on his ideas and not the color of his skin. People here would have said, no way, that's not going to happen. It happened. And Obama was re-elected in 2012. Barack Obama. You like him, you don't like him, that's fine. The issue is overcoming racism and voting for somebody based on his ideas, not his race. And we've made progress in gay rights, we've made progress in women's rights, we have a long way to go. But while we can applaud ourselves, in progress we have made in overcoming racism, everybody here knows that we still have a long, long way to go. And in that regard, I am not just talking about the very sick individual who in Charleston some months ago walked into a Bible study class and killed nine people because of the color of their skin. And I am not just talking about the hundreds of hate groups that exist in this country. Groups that exist solely for the purpose of propagating hatred against blacks or immigrants or Jews or Catholics, anybody who is different than that. What I am talking about are people like Sandra Bland and Michael Brown and Rakia Boyd and Eric Gardner and Walter Scott and Freddie Gray and many others who died at the hands of police officers or in police custody. That sad reality exists today and my pledge to you is that together we are going to end institutional racism in America and we are going to make major reforms in a broken criminal justice system. Capacity. I work very hard with the police department in my city, and let me tell you what probably most of you know. Most police officers, the vast majority, are hardworking, they are honest, and they're trying to do their best in a very, very difficult job. But when a police officer, like any other public official, breaks the law, that police officer must be held accountable. that look like they are invading Iraq. They are heavily militarized. We need police departments in this country who are part of the community, not seen as an oppressive invading force.
some of you may know, last week I introduced legislation that would take marijuana out of the Controlled Substance Act.
Sanders. I'm just so grateful for everybody who's listening to the podcast. I'm just going to ask one thing of you. Don't be selfish, man. Spread the word. And, and and also in terms of spreading the word, when it's time for these elections to come up, uh, next year is going to be a very big year. If nothing else, I just want you to vote, man. And make the time, take the time to vote. I understand we all live very busy lives, but the opportunity for you to be an activist is whenever you step into uh, that ballot box and you make that decision. I don't care how you feel. 
um, in terms of you say my vote really doesn't matter. The devil is a liar. Your vote does matter. And it's, you know, when I hear about, you know, when I hear speeches like these and, you know, I have an opportunity to, you know, meet people who have uh, this level of consciousness and awareness in terms of, you know, wanting better um, for our country and wanting better for the world. I'm a, I, I, I re it really inspires me to continue, um, not only with making a difference, but just with being a, a good citizen. But with that, we're going to uh, sign off. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to Making a Difference, for being a part um, of the movement. I'm Ken Macon. I love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. Did you enjoy that episode of Making a Difference? If you did, then I want you to follow and keep up with the Making a Difference movement on Twitter, on Facebook, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes. If you're looking us up on iTunes, search for Making M-A-K-I-N-A Difference. SoundCloud, all you got to do is go to soundcloud.com backslash making a difference. On Twitter, the handle is difference making, M-A-K-I-N. And on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com backslash making a difference show, S-H-O-W. Thank you guys so much for supporting the movement. Love you guys. Peace and God bless.